You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> It's Thursday, August 27, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Tom Thornton, founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. But first, with the day's stories, Nick Correa. Thanks, Ash. In his speech at the annual Jackson Hole Symposium this morning, Fed Chair Jay Powell gave an official update to the Fed's policy on inflation targeting. It was one of the most significant revamps in their policy strategy since 2012. Having deliberated on these changes for the past year and a half, the Fed is seeking to average out their inflation target of 2% over the long term. In other words, in periods where inflation consistently is under 2%, the Fed will structure monetary policy to aim right above the 2% threshold to average it out and meet their target over time. Since setting the inflation target at 2% in 2012, the Fed has only met that a few times in the past eight years, averaging about 1.4%. Powell today had said, quote, the persistent undershoot of inflation from our 2% longer run objective is a cause for concern, end quote. Averaging out their inflation targeting would help them avoid, quote, an adverse cycle of ever lower inflation and inflation expectations, end quote. In an economy that thrives on credit and its growth, a deflationary environment causes the debt burden to increase in real terms. Low inflation is also a direct contributor to low rates, which, when an economic downturn occurs, significantly hampers the central bank's ability to support the economy through a recessionary period. Our new statement explicitly acknowledges the challenge posed by the proximity of interest rates to the effective lower bound. By reducing our scope to support the economy by cutting interest rates, the lower bound increases downward risks to employment and inflation. With regard to the employment side of our mandate, our revised statement emphasizes that maximum employment is a broad-based and inclusive goal. This change reflects our appreciation for the benefits of a strong labor market, particularly for many in low and moderate income communities. In other words, the shift in policy is meant to expand strong labor market gains in order to reach more workers. In light of how the U.S. economic expansion prior to the pandemic benefited minorities and women in finding jobs and the civil unrest that has erupted this summer. All in all, rates will be lower for longer, much longer, allowing the economy to run hot. Yields on long bonds took a brief dive just minutes before Powell's address, but they ticked back up as the Fed chair laid out his lower for longer vision. A steepening yield curve makes sense in the context of the Fed's new inflation targeting regime, since investors demand a higher yield in order to receive payment in a currency that may be worth less. As I'm recording this, the 30-year flirts with the 1.5% threshold. The question I'm wondering is, could a breach of that key level be a catalyst for price action in equities as well as gold? And with that, I'll send it back over to Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Nick. Welcome back, Tom. Hey, how are you? Good. It's good to have you back. You're one of our favorite guests on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I love being here. <laughs> so, Tom, let's jump right in. What are you looking at today? Well, I think we've had one trade on with this market. I think it's become very crowded. That's 
long stocks, long bonds, long gold, silver or metals, and uh, short the U.S. dollar. And I think that uh, it's becoming clear that we're going to see some changes happening. Market sentiment has been exceptionally skewed to one side on these trades. And I think that we're starting to show some signs in equities, uh, despite the indices uh, still making new highs. We're seeing yields lift on bonds. Uh, so we're going to see, I think, a further bond sell-off. The U.S. dollar starting to perk up a little or just stabilize maybe. And gold right now has uh, peaked. It had a uh, a Robin Hood spike, and now it's come back down. Uh, it still has support uh, around 1900 uh, on the gold futures, and I think 180 on GLD. But if we lose those levels, I think we could see um, going back to the mid-July levels where we broke out. Tom, you essentially are calling for a reversal of that trade that's been in place now for some time. What's your time horizon for when you're going to look for this to start happening and at what speed? Well, I, I will. I, let me just point out, I've been like terrible on the equity market um, in the last few months. I have not anticipated uh, the move that we've had. Uh, it's been narrow. I can... I've been showing people it's very, very narrow with five stocks really doing all the work. Um, August has seen Apple do about 40% of the NASDAQ 100 um, heavy lifting, the attribution. Uh, Tesla's right been, been in there. Uh, it's been this uh, you know stock split mania craze in the last few weeks. And I, I honestly just, I, I've been completely off sides. I'm not really heavily short the market. I have some put spreads, but uh, I think that uh, it's getting a bit uh, frothy. Yeah. And what are you going to be looking for as you look out to see if the thesis is being confirmed, the new thesis you've just articulated? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, we've been watching is the divergence with uh a breath right now. Uh, we've seen a lot of days where there's been really negative breath and upside in the market. And I, I think that that is a, a risk that we've seen ahead of market pullbacks in the past. We have uh, DeMarc signals that are, uh, you know, having some countdown 13 uh, sell signals. Uh, I think that as far as uh, timing, I think uh, in the next two months, we have some negative seasonality coming in September. I think it's it's going to be um, perhaps after tomorrow's expiration with a lot of uh, gamma roll off that uh, we could see some um, selling uh, happening a, a little bit deeper. Yeah, so pretty short term thesis and your your outlook on that. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom, explain to people who aren't as familiar with DeMarc signals as you are what they are. I know it's a big part of the way that you look at the market from a technical perspective. Right. Uh, they're exhaustion signals on the upside and downside, and uh, they, they really do um, capture the trend uh, and momentum. And as a lot of people say, you know, the trend is your friend uh, until it ends, as Tom DeMarc has said. Uh, Tom DeMarc has about 75 indicators that are publicly used. And one of his indicators uh, was really, really sharp. And it said 34.86 on the S&P, which we uh, hit today. And, uh, you know, there could be a little bit more residual strength in the next few days. Uh, but I do think that uh, 
we are coming close with market sentiment. I use the daily sentiment index, um, and that's over 90% bulls. Investors intelligence is 60% bulls. Uh, but I, I like on investors intelligence the percentage of those uh, newsletter writers that are expecting a correction. And mm-hmm. that range is, it's not often talked about, but the range is between 20 and 40%. And we're at 23% right now. At the bottom in March, uh, it was 41%. And that was a, actually a very good buy signal, which I actually was um, bullish at the end of March and uh, into April. Uh, I'm like a lot of people, we pulled out a little early on some of the gains that we had, uh, regrettably. But uh, again, I never in a million years could have imagined uh, the market at these levels. And it just, it, yeah, I just want to hit myself over the head with the green hammer. Now, but do you feel when you look at it that the market might now be overpriced? Do you see correction risk as a substantial probability? If so, what time horizon are you thinking? Well, the market is definitely overpriced. And unfortunately, uh, or maybe fortunately, the most companies in April uh, withheld guidance. So really, the market was flying blind as far as uh, what they were going to do. And Analysts lowered their expectations in May and July, or in May and June, way, way too low. And estimates just went right through the roof. And same store sales uh, were, some of the retailers were just blowouts. And uh, I think a lot of that is getting priced in. And as far as, you know, how expensive the market is, Apple's trading at about 38 times earnings. And historically, uh, that is way, way overvalued. I'm not going to say it should be, you know, back to, you know, the mid-teens, but I'm just saying 38 times is rich to buy Apple at these prices. And I, and I actually, I was on, um, I was on Real Vision on, on a live thing that uh, I said, yeah, I, 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 I'd buy Apple here. I'd buy all the good quality stuff. Uh, that was back in March, and uh, and and it it really was great. I just I just bailed out too early, and um, sorry. Well, you know, it's interesting. Apple only looks rich at 38 until you compare it uh, to Amazon, which is trading at, what, uh, 130 times trailing 12-month earnings, and uh, Tesla now up at 1,100x. Yeah, that yeah. that that makes no sense. And uh, I, I was short Tesla, and I've been short, uh, short 16 times over the last three years. I made money 11 times, and this last time, I absolutely got murdered. I, I, I stopped myself out below a thousand. And uh, to think that uh, it's now at, what 2100 or 2200, it just makes no sense. And uh, uh, more power to the bulls that, uh, that uh, were long this stock. I don't think it has anything to do with the fundamentals of the company. I think it right. is a complete uh, mystery. The options in Tesla are really fascinating. I've never seen this before. Um, just today, I saw that a thousand of the next week expiration, four thousand strike calls were bought. Now that causes the dealers to have to go out and hedge. In other words, buy stock. It causes this this panic buy in in the stock, and and they've been doing this. Uh, for quite a while now. And I think a lot of the shorts uh, have just caught on to this and said, uh, no, Moss, we don't want to be there. So I, I think that, uh, you know, you've had this stock go up on the stock split 
and there's a lot of people out there that think that a stock split, you get more shares. Uh, you actually get the same uh, company, uh, more shares, same valuation. And that's going to be a, a learning lesson for many. I, I remember back in 99 when Qualcomm was the Tesla of its day and it split four for one. And that was basically it. And it dropped right after that. Yes. Back in 1999, when I was one of the young guys on Wall Street, you know, you mentioned learning experience and you were so candid about missing a piece of this leg up. I'm curious, as you look back, as you revise your framework, as you revive your revise your thesis, what did you learn from that experience? Well, you know, the, the thing that I've looked at are a, a lot of sectors uh, like financials, uh, energy, uh, places where they were really under undervalued. Uh, as potential places to buy. I've been long financials uh, for a little bit and they're they're starting to work a little now. Uh, I still um, will look back and say, you know, I didn't recognize that this was going to turn into a mania with these five stocks again. And it's it's I've been involved with the Fang-like stocks for a number of times and I've traded them a ton. And I, like again, I, I really feel like I caught them well uh, in March, and I said, we got to buy the best quality. But never could I have imagined that they would have gone as far as they have. And even looking at Apple, knowing that the stores are closed for months and they've got tons of old stale phones at AT&T and Verizon and, and, and T-Mobile, I, I never thought ahead of a new product launch, I never thought that the stock would gain a trillion dollars. And if anybody said, oh, that was just obvious, um, I really um, would like to um, say, you know, call bullshit on that because uh, this has just been a mania. And I didn't I didn't anticipate this being a mania with the backdrop of data that we had, the economic data. Uh, I really feel like, um, you know, I missed it. There's new opportunities tomorrow, and I'm not going to necessarily beat myself self up over it. Um, I'll short them on the way down because uh, what goes up like this usually comes down. Yeah, it was not by any means obvious that this would happen, and I would I would defy someone to come up with a printed case for why it was obvious that's uh, predated uh, the run up. I guess I'm curious, just from a bigger broader philosophical perspective, you've been trading these markets for a long time. When something like this happens and when you look at something that clearly uh, was not rational, that's clearly based on momentum, how does that impact the way you think about trading in the future? You know, I, I, I want to find those, I, obviously. Uh, I want to find them early, though. And I, that's generally what I, I look for. I look for early turns off of uh, downward moves. So I, you know, I, again, I look for things that, that go crazy in a, in a market that generally has a better backdrop than, you know, 40 million people claiming uh, unemployment benefits and a pandemic and everything closed. Uh, of course, people can say, well, the Fed, don't fight the Fed. And, you know, generally speaking, uh, they're right. Uh, obviously, I think that the Fed went uh, a bit much a little too much and it's going to be a pay the piper situation that's going to happen in the next few years yeah. and and another thing is uh it's like that david einhorn you know it's like you have one jelly donut it tastes great you have two you're kind of st 
stuffed. And then, you know, the more and more you have, you're just, you want to throw up. And I think that that's kind of what uh, all this Fed action is going to be like. It just, it doesn't have the same effect as that first jelly donut that uh, soothes the soul and, you know, makes you happy. I think it's going to be tough in the Fed today with Powell. Uh, I think he's making, um, I think he came out and basically said, I'm hedging myself and the Fed for the next couple of years as we are anticipating higher inflation. Now, his goal of 2% has been the goal for a while, but now he's saying, oh, we're going to allow it to go a little higher and I don't want it to be, you know, the 1970s with runaway inflation. But if he can make, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, let's talk a little bit about the the news uh, for people who may have missed it. So effectively, Jay Powell came out this morning, virtual Jackson Hole uh, conference, and stated that the Fed is going to be engaging in uh, average inflation targeting, uh, which sounds like a very kind of neutral and academic framework. But you know what it effectively means is that the Fed's going to let the economy run hot to compensate for previous low inflation. And um, you know they call it flexible uh, average inflation targeting. It sort of does have a little bit of a feel of kind of the discretion of the Fed chair. Uh, and it definitely has a, a pretty clear implication uh, that inflation is going to be allowed to run hot for the next, you know, whatever period of time that looks like. Yeah. I mean, he, he came out and said, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, I think in, in many respects, he said, it's okay if yields are going to rise here. I think maybe even uh, the, the Fed is saying, hey, I know that the, the U.S. government has a deficit and they have a huge issuance of debt that's coming soon. And I think maybe Jay Powell was saying, hey, I don't I don't think the Fed's going to buy all this. And I think he allowed rates to move higher. I think uh, the 210 can steepen a little bit more, I think, for now, uh, until it becomes uh, a level where he just he can't bear it. But, you know, if this was such a inflationary uh, call that he made, you know, you didn't really see the inflationary stuff like uh, gold lift or silver lift. Um, you had uh, crude go down today. I'm looking at some other things here. Uh, you know, just really, I, I feel like uh, if you couldn't have got 2% when you had a 2% target, I, I, I'm i not sure what they're going to do to get more than 2%. And, and you know, a lot of times when they, well, they that's talk- That's such a key point, Tommy. That's such a key point. If you couldn't get 2% when you had a 2% target, how are you going to get more? I mean, it's just kind of, you know, the Fed has always said, you know, we don't want to be Japan, uh, but they're, you know, that's their big fear of, of being Japan. But, you know, essentially the, the Japan's tr- had this 2% target for decades and they can't they can't produce it as well and you know I, I'm not quite sure uh, the Fed can either and if they do uh, you know be careful for what you wish for because I think that's gonna see uh, another huge bout of income inequality yeah. and then you got a whole nother problem on your hands and so you know I think the Fed is in a box yeah today uh, ten-year Treasury note yield up about 10 basis points. Yeah. I, I've been, you know, negative on bonds for a, about a month now, and now they're starting to make a move. The 30 year, uh, had a big, big move too. I don't think that, uh, the short end is going to move, uh, that much. And, you know, again, you know, if the feds trying to do this big 
push uh, for inflation, I mean, are they going to go negative on rates? And if they do that, then you've got other issues that you're going to deal with. And the financial sectors, I don't think it's going to be like Europe, but you know, I don't, they're not going to make money with, uh, with negative yielding rates. I just think that's uh, a bad, bad policy. Yeah. I mean, what this really means is massive compression of net interest margins for lenders, for banks. It really is difficult to see how one could be bullish on those stocks. You know, one thing about the banks, I mean, you do have a huge amount of M2 and, and liquidity out there in the markets. And i that's one of the reasons why I, I missed this big move in the market is because I was really bullish on fun, financials. And I thought, you got all this liquidity. It's got to go somewhere and it's got to go to the banks. And and really, we haven't seen that. And the banks, the banks might be the 2021 story if the loan losses can be quantified uh, with the whole pandemic. And, they, you know, the banks have had huge loan loss provisions. And I've I've talked to a lot of financial uh, traders and uh, a couple bank uh, CEOs. And they said, yeah, we may have over... Uh, you know, overstated the uh, loan loss provisions. And if that gets reversed, I think you're going to see an instant uh, move in these financials. And it could be really um, a, a great sector to be long um, in 2021. You, you don't have those concerns about net interest margins and the revenue that banks are able to generate from those loans? Well, that's always been, you know, an issue. But if you do get higher yields, uh, I think that's going to help. Um, yeah. It, it's not going to be the heyday of banking, uh, but I, I certainly think that the U.S. banks are highly capitalized. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got issues uh, here and there, but it's not 2008. And I think that uh, if they can see higher yields, uh, you know, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily super high, but I think that they can uh, they can continue. Um, to, you know, to produce to produce good earnings. And again, I think the banks are down uh, because of the loan loss provisions. Nobody knows what the commercial real estate market's going to look like yeah. uh, in the next few months and quarters. I think it's, you know, New York City is, um, you know, you got the big debate over is New York City dead? Uh, I think it's sort of in the middle. I think there's going to be the opportunist uh, type people that are going to come in and swoop in and buy great properties. I think there's a lot of margin or uh, leverage out there uh, in this world that's going to get uh, see some people get taken out. And who knows if the work at home phenomenon is a permanent thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the points that you just made, it's like it's been a greatest hits of what we've been talking about here on Real Vision Daily Briefing for the last week or so. Uh, you know, the decline in uh, commercial and industrial lending, the decline in uh, con commercial real estate lending. Uh, and the questions we were actually talking about, uh, Ed and I, Ed Harrison and I were talking about uh, the M2 expansion uh, versus the collapse in M2 velocity yesterday. Yeah, it's de definitely noticed. Um, I think a lot of people were noticing that. Uh, but, it, you know, the, the thing is, uh, again, I think this is a longer term move that with that M2 uh, out there. I mean, there's so much liquidity out there uh, that can be used. And I don't think it's being used. I don't think that you're seeing the lending um, going out there to the right places. And I think there's just so much uncertainty in that area 
that uh, people are holding back. I mean, and you know, the one place you see a lot of lending is in the housing market, and that's uh, that's been, I mean, in my neck of the woods in Greenwich, uh, the real estate brokers are. I've, I've heard them say this is the biggest seller's market ever, and people are coming in, you know, sight unseen and and paying over the ask on on some houses, and I think that's you know that's a trend that could last for another few quarters, uh, maybe a year. And, and what's your take there? What do you think is driving it? Is it changes in patterns of where people want to live, just moving out of the city? Is that something that's unique to Greenwich, Connecticut, and you may not see uh, in Omaha, Nebraska? What's your thinking on that? Yeah, it, it's it. Look, Greenwich is sort of an odd place. It's it. You know, people have this mystique about Greenwich as this you know place. It's all hedge fund people and. You know, it's not necessarily all that. It, it, there's the, the houses that are really selling are in the you know one million to two million range, and you have a lot of young New Yorkers that are coming in and saying, "Okay, I'll buy it." And they're 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 buying smaller houses. The the bigger Mongo houses are not selling. I mean, maybe in the Hamptons they're selling, but in Greenwich, I think there's a, a demographic that uh, a lot of younger people that are moving here. Uh, so I, I think it's it's a good thing for Greenwich. I'd like to see better restaurants. Um, you know, that's just my my complaint. Um, that's you know, hopefully, you know, some New York restaurants will come, <laughs> please. Yes, yeah, so they probably are going to uh, have plenty of customers. Maybe they're old customers when they move, <laughs> hopefully uh, to Greenwich. You know, it's interesting. I talked to uh, a housing expert yesterday uh who said listen you guys in the media love this story that cities are dying or that cities are not dying guys it's two things it's demography and it's rates everything that i've seen is basically on trend uh you have these weird quirks in places like new york and san francisco uh and in greenwich connecticut in places in uh, northwestern new jersey uh you know but these are idiosyncratic things that was his argument and that it's basically a market that's continued on trend so it's an interesting place to watch obviously a tremendous amount of activity in our own neck of the woods yeah you know one other thing that i i i think that would be great for the housing market and everybody might just go oh wait but if rates start to rise and it could cause a real panic buy for people that have been have been sitting on the sidelines and have said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to buy a house, but I'm going to wait for next year. Um, I'm going to they may say, oh, my God, I've got to lock in a rate at, at these low levels. And that could cause a bit of a panic buy uh, in the housing market as well. And and. You're right. Um, you know, you've seen these uh, this migration in the tri-state area to the suburbs, and I think it's it's mostly due to New York. I'm not sure how it is in some of the other larger uh, cities. Uh, I know there's there's a lot of people that are moving out of California. They're moving to Texas. I think there's a migration also for people moving out of some of the high taxed states. Um, you know, Connecticut taxes are still lower than New York. Uh, not by much, but uh, I think that uh, you know there's an opportunity there for people to uh, uh, to say, okay, it's time to move. I mean, it happened in 9/11, but you know, 9/11 was sort of a short-term thing for the the housing market in New York. It wasn't uh, something that uh, you saw, you know, retail stores closing uh, during 9/11 and restaurants closing, um, not at all. So this is, I think, a, a much bigger. Uh, powerful 
wave of people that are have decided to say, hey, let's get out of New York or let's move. Yeah, it's interesting. There are also a series of idiosyncratic effects here in New York, but obviously the nation's financial capital. We have some rising crime rates, a, a very unpopular mayor and a few other things that seem to be influencing it. Um, you know, I, I was just looking, Tom, at the uh, XLF versus XLK chart, and it's like 160 percent spread between yeah. uh, the, between the, the select spider for uh, for uh, banking versus uh, technology. Yeah, it's it's. Um... You know the, the thing. The thing that just um, going back to some of the sectors, I, I did a look at the year-to-date breadth of stocks that are up uh, on the year versus down, and the tech sector uh, was positive. Obviously, you'd think, but not. You know, the S and P tech uh, sector was positive, but not like wildly. You know, ninety percent positive. But then you look at like the financials, they're down, uh, more stocks down for the year. Energy S&P sector, there's only one stock up in the index uh, this year. There's a lot of value stocks that uh, maybe they're value traps, as some people will say. But uh, I certainly think that if um, we start to see some positive news with the virus, whether it's the Abbott Labs test, the five-minute test, uh, that could be really a big game changer. Or, yeah. you know, we do get a vaccine. Uh, I don't think we're going to get a true vaccine uh, before the election, as some people think and hope they get one to save their election chances. But um, we'll, we'll see. I think that uh, a lot of these uh, these beaten down stocks uh, are going to be real big opportunities uh, going forward. So you could see a big rotation uh, when is uh, definitely uh, the big question. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that story today, the three facts that I picked up from it, five bucks per test, rapid test, 15 minute antigen test, uh, and 50 million doses or tests per month that Abbott Pharmaceutical believes that they can produce. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a game changer. And, uh, you know, a lot of this, I'm not a scientist, obviously. Um, but a lot of the people that I've read have said that, uh, you know, this could be like a, a a seasonal thing where you have to take a, a vaccine every year. You have to get a flu shot. You have to get a COVID shot every year. Um, that you know, this thing could be with us for a long time. And if that's the case, we're going to have to live with it. We're going to have to adapt. And I think a lot of people are adapting. I think there's also a lot of people that have become very complacent and they're not wearing their masks and I'm not necessarily, you know, walking around telling everybody to, to wear a mask, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, you do the right thing when you're around people um, and, and we'll be better off. Uh, I think that's this Abbott Labs uh, test. If you can put it in schools, people going to a concert, everybody takes the test, they wait outside, boom, they're in. If they're they're they show their, you know, they're not positive. Uh, they're free to go in and everybody can uh, move on. I think that'd be a big game changer for schools. Uh, I will say that I have a daughter in college in Texas at SMU, and uh, she's heard about a couple of her friends um, that have tested positive. So this is, you know, it's a real concern, I think, going into the fall with parents, uh, with students, uh, whether it's elementary to high school to college, what's going to happen? It's a, there's a lot of unknowns and it's very concerning for, for all of us. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. 
reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Tom, before we uh, move on, let me ask you a question. You mentioned earlier about market breadth. How do you measure market breadth and how do you think about it and what's the significance? So I, I look at market breadth uh, in various ways. You know, the cumulative breadth measures are not necessarily my favorite, uh, partly because of the, the calculation uh, to, you know, cumulative breadth is like up, you know, every up move is gets one gets one vote. I, I'm I look at, you know, up and down every day. So like I'll look at the advanced decline lines. Um, I look at attribution, uh, which is basically saying with the market weight of a stock, how much weight, how much are they contributing to the actual move? So I think that's really, really important to watch. Um, and, and and again, you know, just the basic advanced decline lines, which a lot of people are talking about over the last few weeks, because they've actually been trending down, uh, not up, uh, in a market that uh, a market that that goes up, and that's you know the magic of indices and mega cap tech and Amazon, these stocks that have that have done all the work. Tom, as you look forward, say the next three months, we've got a lot going on. We've got an election, uh, continued uh, intervention by the Fed, some earnings talk. What are your thoughts on all of those fronts? Okay. So the the Fed is done. Uh, this was it. I don't see them making a lot of noise going forward. I think that historically, the Fed has always tried to take a, a step back ahead of elections. So I think that they basically came out and said what they needed to say today. There might be a reiteration of that uh, in the September meeting. Uh, all bets are off on that call if the market takes a dump, uh, which it can. And I think the market, the seasonality gets a little tougher. I think that uh, a lot of the good news with earnings have been has been priced in. I mean, there's a lot of stocks that have ripped on earnings and it's going to be hard to replicate that come October. Uh, maybe I'm wrong uh, on that, but I think it's going to be it's going to be difficult. If there's really strong positive vaccine news, I think that will be incredibly positive short term, but then again, I think the Fed after getting if they get positive news on the vaccine, I think the Fed will be basically, you know, hitting the brakes uh, on stimulus after that. I think that's going to be a cause for them to be able to back off. You've got a uh, stimulus bill uh, that's being bounced around in Congress, which could be a short-term upside for people, um, you know, basically more MMT. And um, the election, I think the election is, I think anybody listening will say the same thing. It's going to be the most polarized election We've ever seen. Uh, I will say that I wish, and I'm probably a lot of people. I wish we could reshuffle and have different candidates. I don't think the candidates uh, are really. I think their their policies are super far right and super left. And uh, I think uh, my view is I think Biden will win. I'm a Republican. I didn't vote for Trump. 
I actually liked uh, a different Democrat uh, for president that uh, wanted to give everybody a thousand dollars a month. And I know that sounds crazy, but uh, Andrew Yang was my guy. Uh, and uh, I, I, the guy just made tons of sense. But so let me ask you yeah, a question. Wait, hold on. Let me let me just say one last thing on the election. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I would actually like to bury my head in the sand uh, for the next couple months for this election. The concern I have is uh, that uh, it's not a peaceful or easy uh, transfer of power as well. Uh, if uh, I mean, we've already seen Trump get all, you know, tangled up in um, the mail in mail ballots. Uh, I think Biden is also, you know, the debates are going to be, you know, questionable if, if Biden can bring his his a game from 10 years ago. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, this could happen and really cause, um, you know, market implications. So I, I think that is something that could be uh, it's going to be watched. And, you know, the market hates one thing and it's 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 not bad news. It's uncertainty. Yeah. So if we get bad news, OK, fine. The market will deal. OK, higher taxes with Biden. The market will deal. But if there's uncertainty, uh, we had uncertainty in 2000 when uh, the Bush Gore uh, presidential election was contested, you know, it caused a big market dislocation. So I think we've got some catalysts out there that uh, hopefully will go smooth. But if not, I think it could cause some market uh, turmoil. Well, you know, you just hit on a couple of the points that I was about to ask you. It's interesting, you know, in our lifetime, we've never had to worry about the peaceful transition of power in the United States. And the fact that there is political risk on the table, even if it seems remote, uh, that's something that's worth noting, I think. And the second point was, go ahead. No, it's just, I, I shake my head and I think everybody in America, is, the world maybe are shaking their head at, at what's what's happened and how polarized everything is. And it's, it's sad. I mean, I'm a, generally a, a very, you know, center right type person and, uh, it's just it's, it's whoever gets in there is going to have to deal with a lot of the problems that we have in society and, you know, with our deficits and, and you know, this crazy stimulus and, and the markets that have bubbled up so much. So I think it's going to be a challenge um, going forward and, and you know, we'll, we'll navigate it as we go through it. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask, your base case is a Biden election. Assuming that that happens, assuming it happens by a, a wide enough margin that it isn't contested, we have a peaceful transition of power. Uh, what's your case for the impact on the fiscal policy, especially on the taxing, taxation side and also on the regulatory side that a Biden election would have? You know, I... I think if anything, they're going to roll back the corporate tax um, that, that Trump did. I'm not necessarily for that all the way. Um, if they roll back a little in stages, yeah, okay, I can I can deal with that. I think the market could deal with it. Uh, I'm actually for low taxes, but there's also a lot of companies out there uh, that are paying super ultra low or no taxes. So I'd love to see uh, you know a little rational you know, center uh, type uh, move for those taxes. So, I, I mean, I think that someone was saying that, you know, if, if Apple is going to make $16 a share in earnings, I'm mean, just throwing that out there, it would be $12 under the Biden 
uh, tax proposals. So I, you know, I think the market could deal with that, but uh, it's going to come across, you know, across the board. And I think people, there's going to be taxes going up because of the pandemic, and we just have to deal with that. And states are going to have to, you know, taxes are going to go up in the states. It's just going to be, it's going to be a difficult period, I think. Yeah. Rational and centrist seems to be in short supply everywhere you look these days. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Tom, thanks so much for joining us. All right. Nice seeing you. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.